Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Today we're going to continue in our, our prayer series. I told you guys that previously in our different prayer series that we've done, and we've done at least one very intentional prayer series every year since we've been here. And they've always been about the different kinds of prayer, how to pray, when to pray, all of those kinds of things. Um, but this, this series has been different in that it's, it's not talking about when to pray or how to pray, but the heart of prayer. Because until we come to a place where our heart is in prayer, prayer is wholly gonna, largely going to be ineffective. Amen? And so we're talking about prayer. And we started with the dependent prayer, the, the prayer that is dependent on our relationship with God, that is reliant and dependent on the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how the next week, through the dependency of God and the power of His Spirit, that we can be devoted to prayer, devoted to the things that God cares about. Let's say that. And that is that all men be saved. We should be intercessors. A devoted person of prayer is an intercessor on behalf of those who do know that they may be strengthened in what they know and those who don't know so that they can know. And in that devotion, I want to talk about how we are capable of praying deliverance prayers, how we are delivered in prayer. I don't know about you guys, but there are times in my life, often, more often than not, where I need deliverance. I need God to show up in my life. And I'm not talking about like Pastor Dunn talk about he got a spirit or something in him. No, I'm just talking about to be delivered from the craziness of the world. Sometimes delivered from some of y'all, you know. <laughs> and I'm sure some of y'all think, and sometimes deliverance from you. And I get that. But sometimes we just have stuff that we need God to move his hand in and act on our behalf. Amen? Yes. That's a delivering prayer. And so a lot of times, most times, we're not capable of delivering ourselves. And so before I get started teaching, I'm going to ask you a question, very sincere question. But how many of you at some point in your life needed someone to act on your behalf, to come to your aid? I have. I have this week. Amen? Amen? Because I can't do it by myself. I'll tell you, I've very rarely been able to do it myself. I want to tell you a story. I'm going to try to get through this because he's in the room today. My brother, all five foot three of them. That's not true. He's like five foot four was was that person for me growing up. He was the person that came to my aid. My brother, just three years older than I am, because of the situation we grew up in, <coughs> cooked my meals. If he didn't cook for me, I wouldn't eat. He washed our clothes. 
He cleaned our house. At just three years younger, older than I am, my brother, probably, honestly, probably 5'10", 5'11", was and is a giant to me because he's been there. When I was six years old, or not six, when I was eight or nine years old, my brother was, of course, way cooler than me. He still is, sadly. <laughs> but him and all his friends used to go to, the, to a creek to swim. And I don't remember much about the creek other than it was a creek that was downstream from a dam, and when the dam would circulate, the stream got bigger and more violent. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And this, this particular creek had a small waterfall, four or five feet tall, really a drop-off that underneath had created a place where you could swim, and we would go swim there from time to time, and my brother would go swim there with his, <clears throat> excuse me, with his friends, and I wanted to tag along, and most often he would let me go. But whenever those days were that it would circulate, it was dangerous for me to be there. I was small, if you can imagine such a thing. I graduated high school at 165 pounds. And so I was a little bitty, especially then at nine or eight or nine years old. And John knew when I wasn't smart enough to know that if I got in there while it was circulating, I would die. But my brother was doing it, and so I was going to do it. So we go follow all his friends down to the creek. They start circulating, and the creek gets a little wider and a little wider, and the waterfall gets a little more rapid and a little more rapid, and then it becomes a little more tumultuous, and then it creates an undertow, and you know how waterfalls do. And my brother and his friends are jumping in, and they're excited, and they're big enough they can do it. And I'm sitting on the bank, and I'm, I'm, sitting on, I'm looking down at the creek because there's about a five- or six-foot drop-off clay on both sides, best I can remember. And I was like, I'm a, I'm a man. You know, so I jumped in there. And that's, that's all I remember before I was underwater to stay. I was underwater. It drugged me under, kept me under for a few seconds. My head would pop back up for a second, just enough for me to catch my breath. And then it would suck me under again. And then it would suck me under again. And then it would suck me under. At eight or nine years old, I remember thinking this. This is how it ends. This is where I die. It's a true revelation that I mean, I've realized that this Short of a miracle happening, this is where I die. And my brother jumped at the peril of his own safety, jumped into that water, and didn't swim to me, swam under me, lifted me up, and carried me out of that water. We've all been dependent on someone. He's always been that to me. And I don't say that because he was in a room. I've said it in the other two services. He's still that to me. I almost died last year in Huntsville um, due to a medical condition that I, that I still have. God's been gracious. My brother and his wife were on a vacation in Florida when I went unconscious, and I stayed unconscious for five days, and I intubated, and they didn't think I was going to, they didn't know if I was going to make it, and if I did make it, if I was going to be functional. And my brother and his wife heard about it, left their vacation, even though they'd planned it for quite a while, and came to where we were. And even though I never knew it, sat with my wife until I regained consciousness and they knew I would be okay. 
everybody needs someone to come to their aid from time to time. Why do I tell you this story? Why do I tell you these stories? Not to prop my brother up. He knows how I feel about him and knew before he, he walked in here. But so that you'll know God is a bigger deliverer than my brother is. I say all that to say that God is better than that. That he is in the deliverance business. No matter what's going on, God is a deliverer. He doesn't allow anything to overtake his people. I could prove this to you in scripture. It's true both physically and spiritually. In Exodus 14, 21 through 22, we see the physical deliverance of God. Then Moses stretched out his hand. Now know that this happened after Moses went to the Lord in prayer. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, the Red Sea. He's trapped, for those of you that may not have an understanding of the story, he's trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. And if God doesn't move on his behalf, him and all the people that just left Egypt are about to die violently. And God says, just, just put your staff out and, and watch me work. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord swept back the sea by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so that the waters were divided and the sons of Israel went through in the midst of the sea on dry land. You know, God could have just said in the scripture, the spirit could have inspired and they went through. And we would be absolutely amazed by that. But that's not all that it says. It says that they went through on dry land. I've seen puddles that were puddles for three weeks that when you stepped into them were mud up to your knee. Imagine a land that had been forever since the beginning of time probably covered in water. How soggy it must have been under there. And they walked through it, but walked through it on dry land. There's more than one miracle happening here, but all miracles in existence for one thing to prove that God physically delivers his people. I want you to have, I'm just trying to build your faith today. But he also delivers spiritually. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you. How many temptations? None. But such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will, know you, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. There's a comma there. Most of us want to put a period there. There's not a period there. That's only half. God's not going to let you be tempted more than you are able, comma, because we all say, well, God's not going to let me be tempted. Oh, no, he is. It's for your perfection, comma, but with the temptation provides a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Now, if you don't take the way of escape, that's on you, but God's still faithful. You may be stupid, but God is still faithful. Sometimes our flesh overrides God's deliverance. Everybody okay with that? It's not exactly how I want to say it, but that's the truth. So he delivers us spiritually and physically. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. But before I do, I want you to hear me. Our leadership here hears me say this all the time. Familiarity breeds complacency. 
Have you guys ever grown so familiar with something you quit paying attention to it? Do you know that's the reason most marriages die? No matter how beautiful it is at the beginning, you stop paying attention to it because you stop paying attention to it. You become complacent to it. And in becoming complacent, you lose what you had. We lose so much in the face of complacency. Why do I say that? Because I'm about to give not the most beautifully orated message that I've ever given, but the most profound one. And this is how I know that. Because it's the profound message of God's deliverance physically and spiritually and how he accomplished those things through Christ Jesus and the cross. It's a first priority that we know this message. I want us to walk away from here confident that we serve a delivering God and that in our prayers, God delivers us. Amen? Point one, and I'm just going to make two of them, and I've just told you what they are. Well, before I get to that, scriptures are full of physical deliverance. God is a delivering God. I want to read before I get started Psalm 18.2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That's a lot of stuff, so I'm going to slow this down for you. I'm going to add some words, but it'll be apparent after having just read the verse where those additions will be for the sake of clarification. The Lord is my rock. He is the solid foundation I stand on. If your world is shaky in any place, it's because you have moved off of the rock that is God in Christ Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? I say that profoundly and with absolute certainty. Where my life is shaky, it's where I have moved away from God because God is a rock. He is my fortress, which means he is that which encamps around me. He surrounds me. He is impenetrable. He can't, the enemy can't get to me for the God that surrounds me. He walks before me, walks behind me, walks to the left and to the right of me, according to the word of God. He is solid and he surrounds me. He is my deliverer, my rescuer, the one who set me free. He is the one in whom I take refuge, which means when my enemies come against me, he protects me, the, my shield and the horn of my salvation. That's not verbiage we're familiar with these days, but that means strength. God is the strength of your salvation. You know why God's the strength of your salvation? Because you're not strong enough to save yourself, nor are you strong enough to sustain that salvation. So without God, we have no salvation. He is the strength of our salvation, our stronghold. In Psalm 40, 17, since I am afflicted and needy. Anybody ever been afflicted and needy? Maybe afflicted and needy right now? Let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help and my deliverer. That is my rescuer, the one who set me free. Do not delay, oh my God. So the first point I want to make is that prayer physically delivers. And I'm going to prove this to you out of Scripture. Specifically out of Judges, chapter 6. Judges is... Anybody ever read the book of Judges? I've read it several times, and this is I see a theme, I see a pattern in Judges that, that I see in my own life. 
And this is the pattern. God delivers his people. When he delivers them, they grow complacent because their life is good now. In their complacency, they become disobedient. Life is good. I start doing my own thing. In their disobedience, they become corrupt or sinful. And in their corruptible state, in their sinful state, they need correction. And then they're corrected, and God delivers them. Because in their correction, they repent. And then in that deliverance, complacency. In that complacency, disobedience. And the cycle goes on and on and on and on. We see it every time a judge is sent. A judge is sent for this reason. And according to this pattern. But we do the same thing. And so we need to be corrected. And God's faithful enough to discipline us. You're all, wait a minute, what? God's faithful enough to discipline us. We need to be disciplined. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. Why does he do that? It is for discipline that you endure. It's because of the discipline that you endure, that you're sustained, that you're held, that you're kept, that you keep pursuing. Who loves their child that doesn't discipline them? But before the dis- after the discipline comes the fruit, the endurance. Let me read Judges 6 to you, starting in verse 1. Then the sons of Israel... I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Then the sons of Israel did... What was evil in the sight of the Lord? And the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. Let me stop right there. It's kind of a sidebar, not really the point I'm trying to make. But listen to this. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian. Who gave them into the hands of Midian? The Lord. Can I tell you, I need you to hear me, that... A theology that tells you that God won't send bad things your direction to correct you is not a good theology. Because oftentimes when God takes stuff from us or causes us to struggle, we cry out to Him. That's what we do to our own kids. Why do you discipline your kids? So that they'll cry out to you. So that they'll be corrected. So that they'll... They'll move in the pattern you want them to. It doesn't mean you're evil that you spank them. It means that you actually love them. And if our love isn't perfect, God's love is perfect, why would we expect that he wouldn't do what was necessary, even if it caused us a temporary harm, to keep us eternally? Because that's his goal. God's not concerned with your happiness. He's concerned with your holiness. And you can write that down, and you should. So anyway, that was the sidebar. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midians for seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens, which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come over with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So once they had sown, once they had gathered the fruit of their harvest, all of this kind of stuff... These other nations would come against them and steal all their stuff, everything they worked for. They were getting fat on someone else's work. 
So they came against them and destroyed to destroy the produce of the earth as far as from Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. So the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the sons from the east all came against them and stole and destroyed everything they grew and everything they produced. For they would come against them, come up with their livestock and their tents, and would come in like locusts for numbers. Both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. I'm only talking to you about this because I want you to understand how, how bad it had gotten for them. So Israel, verse 6, was brought very low because of Midian. And the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. I'm going to stop right there for now. Pay attention to what happened. This is how deliverance happens. We find ourselves in a position to need deliverance. And then we are brought low. Brought low means enfeebled or weak. In our enfeebled and weak state, I think probably after having been tormented this way for seven years, that's probably the best word to describe what they must have been, both physically and spiritually. Enfeebled and weak. They had gotten so enfeebled and so weak that they realized there was only one answer in their life. And that was God. And so they cried out. That doesn't mean they were all, oh man, this is horrible. God, how are you going to do me like this? Y'all laugh, but I've, I've heard people act this way. It means they repented. It means they were brought low to the point that they had no other option but to cry out to God in expectation that God would deliver them from their enemy. When you are brought low, whether you bring yourself low or some other circumstance does, and cry out to God, He will deliver you. The question is, are you going to discipline yourself enough to come low, or are you going to have to have God do it for you? There's a reason I lay in my bed at night and I ask, God, if there's any sin in me, make me aware of it so that I might repent of it before I go to sleep tonight so that it doesn't get me into a place because a sin left till tomorrow becomes a bigger sin and you become more complacent and then you sin again and then you sin again and then there's this snowball effect and then you're so messed up that God has to send correction your way. How better would it be if you shaved that off immediately? So they cried out. We are to cry out. And we can expect that God will answer us in our crying out. I love that he is willing to still deliver us. Guys, I'm using a lot of words to say one thing. God is still a deliverer. God didn't stop being a delivering God in the Old Testament. God didn't stop being a delivering God in the New Testament. God didn't stop being a delivering God in the last generation. God didn't stop being a delivering God during the last great worldly world revival. God's still a delivering God right now. You're all, how come we don't see those kinds of things now? Because we haven't been brought low enough to see what other people are seeing, and we haven't been humbled enough to cry out before God. You know why India 
is running to the name of Jesus. Why they're, the Russian church is growing at, a, at an incredible rate because they've been brought low enough to cry out to Jesus. The Ukrainian church is crying out to Jesus. Any place where a nation cries out to Jesus, where a people cry out to Jesus, revival will happen there. Oh, I wish that would happen here. Then stop complaining and start praying. Stop being prideful. Allow yourself to be brought low. And in your humility, recognize what you are and what you aren't, more specifically what God is, and call out to him, expecting him to deliver you. And you know what? He will. Because he's a God of his word. And if he's ever loved anyone, he loves you. Because he doesn't prefer one man over another. If he's ever loved you, he loves you now. Because he's immovable. He's unshakable. He's a strong tower. He hasn't forgotten you. He's incapable of changing his mind or his position. His perspective is eternal, and he knew you before you knew yourself. Amen? What should that do? That should make us excited. That should cause us to be incredibly happy. But as much as we can expect to be physically delivered in prayer, there's a greater deliverance that we need. There's an eternal deliverance that we need, which is my second point. Through prayer, we are spiritually delivered. I'm going to go to Galatians chapter 1. While I'm turning there, can I tell you, I've, I've kind of hacked on you, kind of hacked on y'all. If you just bring yourself low, blah, 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 or you did something stupid, God has to deliver you now. It's not always the case. Sometimes bad just happens to you. Sometimes bad is just a circumstance of where you happen to be standing. Sometimes you're standing someplace and a rock falls on you. God delivers that too. You lost, lost your job. And because you lost your job, you lost your car so you couldn't go find another job. Because you couldn't find another job, you lost your house. Your whole world is imploded. That's something that happened to you. But you know what? God's faithful to deliver when we call out and humble ourselves. So back to this spiritually delivered. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians, the book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians, was written as a defense by Paul to, to the Judaizers saying, my ministry is from God. It wasn't something I came up with. So it's a pretty vehement letter, if you ever just read it. It's, Paul gets legit. Like he gets, this is one of my favorite books. So he, he, because of that, he introduces himself in this way. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So he's saying, this is from God. I'm, I'm not sent by man or an agency of man. I haven't made this up in my head. I was sent to you through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me. And then this is where I want to start teaching. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. That's one of the most succinct and beautiful summations of the gospel ever. I'm going to spend some time. I'm going to go word by word here just for a few moments. He starts like this. First, he tells them who he's right to. Of course, they knew that because they're in Galatia reading it. It says, grace to you and peace from God. So your deliverance comes from God through Christ Jesus. Everybody say, from God. It was his idea. He's the one that decided. He's going to save you in your rebellion. Even though you are at enmity, even though there is none that does good, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God determined to love you so much that he sent his son, Christ Jesus, to die for you so that you wouldn't have to face judgment because you were judged already. That's a summation of about seven different verses there. But it comes from God. What comes from God? Grace and peace. I want to talk about grace. I love grace. I'm not as gracious a person as I should be, but I love grace. Y'all ever, like I, I judge other people on their action, and I judge myself on my intent. You know, so I'm not, I, I don't show the grace I should, but man, I love grace. What is grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. But that's so vanilla. That's so plain. What does that even mean? There's not enough teaching on grace. It literally means anything you receive from God that you don't deserve is a grace from God. So if that's the case, you have to ask yourself, what do I what do I deserve? You don't deserve anything. That means everything is a grace. Everything that you are, everything that you have, anything that you have ever had or anything that you ever will have is a grace from God. The breath in your lungs, your strength to work, the job that you have, the family that you have, the grace for salvation, all of this comes from God, even though you didn't deserve it. God built the bridge through his son, Christ Jesus, by hanging him on the cross so that we can get from where we are to him. That is favor we can't pay for. And we should be thankful for that. This is the God that we serve. He delivers us through grace. Amen? By grace, we have been saved through faith. By grace. But grace isn't just for salvation. Salvation brings righteousness. But grace is also the strength to maintain and continue to pursue righteousness. Which means we should always be growing in grace, growing in grace. And not only growing in grace, but exhibiting grace as we grow in that grace. Because the more grace we receive, the more grace we should pour out. Because Other people deserve that which we have, and they're not going to want what we have if we don't show them what God gave us. That's good, y'all. Amen to myself. (laughs) (laughs) But he said, he doesn't just say grace, though. He said grace and peace. Why? 
Because peace and grace are so incredibly intertwined that they're inseparable. If you have grace, and you do, whether you're saved or not, you have grace. Did you know that? Because God should have killed you already. There should ever be an opportunity for you to repent. But if you're already saved, you receive more grace. But grace should bring us peace. Should bring peace to the to the person who has accepted Christ Jesus. What do I mean by that? I mean that death has no sting for me. Death has no victory for me. If you could get a hold of that truth, you would never worry about anything. Did you hear me? Well, it might hurt. 10,000 years from now, you're not going to remember that hurt. It's tough, I know. But it's a peace. Right now, I'm confident. I praise God we can live in a country where we can worship together in peace. But if somebody come through that door and shot me in the head and I was done, I'm okay. I came to terms with that years ago. Angela and I made the decision years ago. We had a conversation with our kids when they were teenagers. If this world ever gets to the point, if this country ever gets to the point where we could be killed for believing what we believe, if they ask you, deny the name of Jesus or we're going to kill them, you better let them kill us. These are conversations you should have with your older children so that they don't, know, they don't have to worry or wonder where you stay. They shouldn't have to carry the guilt of that their whole life if something like that were to happen. Anyways, that's the kind of peace that we have, though. That's the comfort that we have. And the fact that through God, we've been given grace. And through that grace, we have peace. But how did this happen? This happened by Christ Jesus, by the work of the cross. By the fact that he came here, that he lived a perfect life, that he committed no sin so that he could be the ultimate sacrifice, the only once and for all sacrifice. Because the law required a perfect sacrifice, and it's only him, only Christ, who was sinless. He was the only one qualified for the job to redeem us. And he did it. Resurrected. Sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession on your behalf. Sitting, might I add, not standing. He's not pacing the floor wondering what's happening. He's just as content right now. He doesn't have to worry about you. You know why? Because you belong to him. And he knows all things. And he's been, you've been delivered. I could go on and on, but I probably should. Some of y'all are getting hungry. Y'all would be hungry for the word. <laughs> I'd just be silly, but really. All right. Only Christ Jesus. Only by the name of Jesus. This, this verse, Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven which has been given among men by which we must be saved. Why did he do it? 
according to this Galatians text, so that we may be rescued from this present evil age. That is this world. We live in the present evil age. The enemy still has, is still the prince of this world, if you will. But we're not of this world. We're just in this world. We're passing through. Can I ask you just to live like you're passing through? Some of us want to be putting up boundary markers and buy land and plant a flag, fight over stuff that ain't important. You're moving through here. (coughs) Jesus Christ saved us so we wouldn't have to fight over these kinds of things. Why? Because he's a delivering God. It's who he is. It's his nature. And to him, because of it, according to Paul, be the glory. Amen.